good. Welcome back to the real world. Enter the real world.com. Two E's. It's a pun that Mike Thomas will be punished for for the rest of time because it's a visual pun. And when you plug it on a podcast, people don't know. My name is Matt Waters. This is Ben and Matt's Marvelous Journey, a podcast series chronicling the history of the MCU. Do you go to entertherealworld.com? We got lots of good stuff from Broadcast Depth. There's a new Lost podcast. I'm not on it, so if that affects how you feel, either way, good. Uh, and there's lots of good stuff. But this is marvelous journey. It's Ben and Matt. My name's Matt. Who's Ben? Ben is Ben Phillips. Ben, how are you? I'm good. I'm going to immediately date this podcast. Okay. Uh, and say I'm reading the news right now. Kim Kardashian and Kanye West have named their daughter Chicago. Oh, but hey, I'm going to be doing the rest of this podcast angry, so let's see how that goes. Uh, we have reached the Avengers. I'm furious right now. Uh, <laughs> so, this tiny little film, one of the biggest of all time. I think, at the time, it was the third highest ever behind Avatar and Titanic. It is still currently the third highest grossing movie ever, isn't it? Or has no, Jurassic been World overtaken by it? Force Awakens and Jurassic World. Oh, God. One of those is bad. Yeah. Fifth all-time, 1.5 billion at the box office. And I'm rounding, because when you get to billions, you round. It's the Avengers. Uh, It is the culmination of everything Marvel had been doing. It is all your good time pals. You got your Iron Man, you got your Hulk, you got your Captain America, you got your Thor. You got new people. Well, they're not new, but they haven't had their own films. And they still haven't. Hawkeye and Black Widow. Uh, You got Nick Fury, Agent Coulson, everything is here in one place and it's it's big it's large it's huge it, it made all the money and just right up front i want to go ahead and say this is a incredible superhero movie i think the cast are absolutely rock solid i think they are understood written and balanced incredibly well by joss whedon i think marvel will never get enough credit for how difficult this must have been to pull off logistically speaking but even if you don't care about any of that it's funny there's a lot of good action and there's so many characters you've got to like someone like you you have to Uh, it's it's stunning that this movie actually works like (laughs) like you can't no matter how you cut it like you you look at the amount of people who are involved in this movie and you remember the fact that joss whedon this is his second feature film Yes. Oh god, like, yeah, true. This is this is the second movie that Joss Whedon never directed. The first one is basically just a longer version of a TV show he did. Like <laughs> it's it's astounding that yes. this movie is not only not only works, but is in my opinion one of the three best comic movies ever made. Yes. Like, and I think for a long time you would have been in the camp of people that said this was like the I guess you're talking about like all superhero movies. Do you still think this is the top of the MCU? I mean, when we've done these ranking the Marvel films, I think you've put it at number one before. Yes, this is this is my favourite MCU movie. I think there are probably better, more mature movies that they've done since. Hmm. But I do not think... Like, it, it's this situation, I kind of take it to be the technical stuff that they achieve in this film. Yeah. Coupled with just... I mean, the act three of this movie is astonishing yeah let's do good good third act bad third act right up front good third act very yeah. very good like, third act. like this movie <laughs> this movie is pretty much done by act two really yeah the stuff you've come here for has happened by the end of act two and then joss whedon basically gets to do a victory lap and <laughs> we get like the best sustained action sequence in a superhero film ever there are things this movie does that no other superhero movie has ever done like that 
swooping shot throughout New York City yes. where they they show what every single hero is doing at the time is still like they still they didn't better it in Age of Ultron like there are like every single shot is a money shot like you start this like I kind of take Act 3 to start from the moment when Hulk punches the giant monster in the face uh-huh. and crushes into the thing and then just everything after that is just cool cool <laughs> like oh my god like yeah. i remember watching this movie at 10 o'clock in the morning on release day because <laughs> the cinema in stains did not do a midnight showing stains upon thames for those ali g fans who would get that reference um it stains massive yeah so 10 o'clock in the morning sat there we skipped lectures three of us just sat there and it was just elation just like laughter and fun and just stunned that this movie is working and working as well as it is i think the second i got out of seeing it i ordered incredible hulk and thor on dvd because i was like man look at all these cool things they're doing and you know one of those didn't work out for me very well at all (laughs) i'd seen iron man and iron man 2 by now i watched captain america like in the weeks leading up to this because I, i was very aware avengers was coming and someone was like yeah captain america is surprisingly good and you know you've heard our episode last week we do still think that. And then, you know, you get the fucking Avengers. Wow. So, released 4th of May, 2012. So, what's that, like, six years to the day in America? Yeah, for pretty when, much. Uh, uh, Infinity War is going to be released. The only movies to come out, the only movie to come out between uh, Captain America and this of the superhero variety was Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance, which is in a weird category of being Marvel post you know, Marvel having their film stuff back, but it isn't canon in the MCU. So, you know, the deck is nice and clear for a good superhero movie to come out. $220 million budget, which is only slightly more than Iron Man 2. And as I said, it made $1.5 billion. I mean, you have to remember that this was at the point where they were not paying their actors very much money. No. So they can, kind of, they can kind of get away with having this cast this stack when they're all paying them. Well, I think they're paying <laughs> Thor and uh, and Cap, like, between them are making less than a million dollars, I think. Yes. Danny Jr. is making an insane amount, but I can't remember if he's actually making an insane amount up front or if he's only got back-end profits coming off this movie. I know he now charges $50 million per movie. Yes, but I don't know if that's... Plus ticket sales. Yeah, I don't, I... I, he had ticket sales for this, I know he did. But... He de- definitely had it for this, but I don't know whether or not this is the movie which started the $50 million upfront fee, or whether or not this is the movie where he started just getting back-end ticket sales to kind yeah. of... Well, this made him the richest man in the world. So, as, as you said, written and directed by Joss Whedon, Zach Penn has a story credit because he was originally a writer of choice, but that changed. Speaking of which... While I like to romanticise the way Marvel went about the Avengers, I'm like, they put in the work and they put out these solo movies with no, like, malicious business intent of... They, they totally did. They, they announced they were going to do the Avengers uh, in, like, 2005. They pitched their big plan to Wall Street analysts to get it all going. So they announced it for a 2011 release after Iron Man was a huge, huge hit. John Favreau was in talks to direct, but he gets a producer credit. He was creatively involved. Sweden hired in 2010. And, uh, well, there might be a reason Zach Penn hasn't worked with Marvel since. Because I believe he told them that Zach Penn's draft was terrible and they had nothing. So he wrote his own version of the movie. The only demands put on him were that Loki is the villain, 
the heroes have to fight amongst themselves in the middle and it has to come out by 2012 which uh you know he did all those things disney had bought the distribution rights from paramount at this point paramount still get the logo don't they they do it does flash out with 100th anniversary but then the end credits say distributed by walt disney yeah it's only the very end it says disney they paid 115 million dollars for this and paramount still get an eight percent box office out of this so that's a pretty good deal for paramount to be honest and early drafts included the wasp ant-man and war machine but they wanted to get some more shield in there as connective tissue i cannot wait to start talking about it but you my friend have the tall task of talking about kind of the history of the avengers up to this movie coming out so there's two there's two important things to talk about so one you've got the avengers which is basically um i think this is just the top of my head marvel did it as like a skip month basically like they didn't have the next issue of i want to say it was fantastic four ready so basically stan lee and jack kirby just kind of threw together a bunch of other heroes into a book which ended up being the avengers which is at that point hulk iron man thor wasp and ant-man teaming up to defeat loki in the very first issue there's no captain america he gets unfrozen in issue four of the avengers and yes basically ever since then the avengers has been the franchise like historically it's never really contained the big marvel hitters like spider-man was not an avenger until the early 2000s fantastic four were never really part of the avengers um and then when the x-men became the heavy hitters in marvel's publishing lineup they were not part of the avengers so the avengers has always been kind of the the b and c list characters off to the side doing their own thing like more Um, by the sum of their parts kind of thing yeah exactly like i mean like there are people who read them. There have been like really, really great Avengers runs over the years. Uh, Kurt Busiek's run from the late 90s is a particular standout, uh, but that's probably more interesting to talk about next time we talk about an Avengers movie. Um, but really, the thing we need to talk about in the overarching history of the Avengers is a little comic by Mark Miller and Brian Hitch made in the early 2000s called The Ultimates, which <laughs> is uh, basically the ultimate universes, which we're not going to get into in depth here, version of the Avengers, which is a more modernised take. Um, and this movie is very, 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 very indebted to that take on the Avengers, like right down to the fact that the team is basically the same. Again, uh, Wasp and Ant-Man are not part of that lineup or are not part of this lineup but they were part of that lineup but pretty much every other character is featured in a major way in Ultimates 1 or Ultimates 2 and yeah I mean you, you've you've seen the Ultimate Universe kind of bleed into Marvel before um, Samuel Jackson was the basis of Nick Fury in that comic book series and the Hulk the Hulk is probably quite similar to it like he's less sexualized than <laughs> in Ultimates but there's still very much like there's a a big part of that Ultimates run is the Hulk going on a rampage and obviously that early part is a big thing here in this movie and yes. you can just little bits of DNA are implanted from the Ultimates rather than from classic Silver Age Avengers stories but yeah, yeah. that is a very brief look yeah. at the history of the Avengers. I have always found it interesting that the Avengers was, uh, as you said, it is kind of a collection of odds and sods that by themselves aren't as exciting as the big money makers. And now, like, I mean, the, the Avengers is the, the biggest thing they do. Like, it's all, all the big events are the Avengers versus, and, and yeah, like, everyone's been drafted onto the team at this point. Like, it's in some ways, like people referring to Iron Man, Thor, and Captain America as Marvel's Trinity was always kind of a 
sly comment on the fact that DC had Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman. Yeah, who like, are in orders of magnitude more famous. <laughs> yes, but now at this point, I would say I don't think I don't think you'll ever get over the cultural cachet that DC's three have. But these movies have definitely taken all three of those characters to the A list. Even in comic publishing, like those three books are still where a lot of good writers are cutting their teeth and doing interesting stuff because they never had those kind of defining runs back in the 70s and 80s and stuff like mm. that whereas now now there are writers who are like matt fraction's run on iron man and jason aaron's current run on thor and ed brubaker's run on captain america that are character defining things that we see we'll start to see lots of elements bleed over into the mcu and goes back and forth and such yeah we tried something a little bit different with the structure last time with captain america where we sort of went through the film and talked about it as it went obviously that was quite long this probably would also be quite long because it's the fucking avengers which is a uh, you know 143 minute movie longest by far longest so far by 20 minutes it was originally gonna be three hours but you know i could like run through the cast one by one like we we've done in the past but there's so much happening in this movie at different points that i think that's going to really jot things around so i'm kind of try and vaguely follow what we did last time and we're just going to go through it section by section but bigger sections this time so the film begins with a menacing little speech from the other to thanos uh, to open the film which we'll, we'll talk about that in a second but nick fury and maria hill are called to a facility where eric selvig is working with a tesseract we saw that at the end of thor suddenly loki appears through a portal and he proceeds to kill or brainwash his way out of this facility as it explodes and he takes Hawkeye, Selvig and the Tesseract with him despite Fury's best efforts. So, as I said, the other, Alexis Denisov, uh, Mr. Alison Hannigan, good friend of Joss Whedon. It's an odd thing to do. Like, I take it for granted now because we know where the MCU goes, but seeing this cold must have been weird because you don't know who's talking to who and about what, really? Because, I mean, they're, you know, they're obviously talking about the Infinity Stones and this, that, and the other, and our ally is Loki. But I just, I, I can't cast my mind back and, like, if I would have known what the hell was going on. Yeah, I have a friend who stands rigidly by the fact that they think this first act is boring as anything, and that, like, a lot of it is kind of down to the fact that, like, a lot of the also-rans of the yeah. MCU at this point to kind of open the movie. I am not that quite, I'm not the, quite that strong of an opinion on this, Act one. Um, I do think it's probably the weakest portion of the movie, like this little section before things start to really get cooking. Mm. But then you've also got the fact that I think everyone in this part is the best that they've been in these roles. Yes, that's going to be a recurring thing. Uh, is um, that I think almost everyone in this movie is doing their best work compared to previous efforts. Yeah, and like you can take you take the weirdness, but like it's weird being thrown this far into the deep end because we never spent this much time with S.H.I.E.L.D. We've never spent any time in space up to this point. No. But the movie's going so quickly that <laughs> yeah. you just kind of you just kind of go like, fine, I'm I'm going. Like we'll 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 take this under advisement and just pay attention to it if it becomes important later on in the film. And like, yeah, the movie burns through like Maria Hill is just thrown in there in like two seconds and you just kind of go like she's important deal with it and <laughs> yeah, yeah K- kobe smulders as maria hill you may know her as robin from how i met your mother joss whedon wanted her to well was considering her to be wonder woman in that allegedly awful script i haven't seen any of that's gone around the internet marina baccarin and mary elizabeth winstead were in the running to play maria hill a little bit of a different take on the character she's like very very stern and stuff in the comics and she she's not not stern here but she is a lot warmer i thought and like you know she she hired her own trainer it kind of seems like she's trying to like audition for action roles to get away from uh, from how i met your mother but you know she's 
she's got a difficult task. She's joining a group of, of people that we know and she's mostly there to kind of argue with Nick Fury and then ultimately agree with him. So that kind of sucks for her. But yeah, I, she's she's fine. Yeah, like I, I, I don't, it's not the most glamorous of roles. It's fun and it's obviously something different that she gets to do. I also think it's one of those things where like it's, Probably something she did in about two weeks when she was on break from How to Make Mother. So like you kind of you can kind of forgive her for not doing too much with it. Uh, she didn't get to um, sing a vampire musical in her little side project. But... No, 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 she, she did not. Um, she got to yeah. be in a one point five billion dollar movie. Yeah, it's... and she gets and she gets to show up in a couple other movies. Yeah, she's and... been back a lot. It's it's interesting because I mean she's never really like had a huge storyline. She's just like joined at the hip to everyone else, but she does keep coming back. So good for her. Yeah, it's it works because you like when you introduce her in this, you can kind of use her as a Nick Fury stand-in if you yeah. need to. Like, so she she's functioning. Although I don't think she's actually appeared in a movie that Nick Fury isn't in. So they sold his death for so long. We'll get to that. Speaking of Nick Fury, Samuel L. Jackson's back by far his most substantial role uh, as Nick Fury so far. He's getting to say things that aren't awfully written, and he's getting to do physical things. Uh, this will recur. We'll bring it back up, but you know, straight away with stuff like. Uh, Selvig who you know Stellaskar's back I don't think he needs talking about he's fine when he's talking about the gamma radiation that's harmless and then uh, Nick Fury turns the camera and sort of deadpans like that can be harmful it's like hey look (laughs) that's like that one line is better than anything you've said out loud so far you can tell like yes this is all very much Joss Whedon quippy dialogue Mm. and a lot of the characters do speak very similarly because it's a weakness that comes to a lot of writers that are probably more intelligent than they need to be like it's something that's a problem when you read Aaron Sorkin work where the characters all sound the same at some point they're just inhumanly intelligent yeah and I love that but that's just me (laughs) but yeah everyone everyone is making quips everyone is 25% funnier than they have been in any other movie in this (laughs) franchise and it really works because again it just the pace does keep going yeah and like you know, good for good for Samuel Jackson. Like they keep paying him not as much money as he should have to turn up for these small scenes. And he, you know, straight away in this one, he is a driving force. He's like one of the he's the only person pretty much that doesn't get taken by Loki, and he's like fighting him off. And it's like yeah, good for you, Jeremy Renner, back as Hawkeye, his first credited appearance as Hawkeye. He is undoubtedly the weak link of the main six uh, Avengers. He has by far the least screen time. I talked about how well balanced it is. He is in the movie for 12 minutes and 44 seconds compared to Captain America's 37 minutes and 42 seconds. So he gets the short end. Someone had to be Loki's like puppet for the whole film. And it's just unfortunate because you don't have time to care about him before he gets taken. So and then he spends most of the film brainwashed. So I think like going through the entire MCU, you are never given an opportunity to fully like care about Hawkeye to the degree you do everyone else around him. And like they will try in in Age of Ultron. But... I I will will come back to this point in Age of Ultron because I do want to refute it somewhat. But okay. I, in this movie, he is the he is the weak link. He is yeah. I, I, and I think you can tell in Age of Ultron that Joss Whedon regretted what he did to Hawkeye yeah yeah, yeah. Hawkeye, Hawkeye is a lot more is there's a lot more substantial in Age of Ultron but in this movie he's basically there yeah. at the end to just kind of look cool and again he gets his fair share of money shots when we get to act three yeah until then he's just a zombie pretty much yeah. he is a plot element 
he is. Like, and he is a plot element of Loki. Tom Hiddleston's back. What a fucking badass, straight away. I think it's a great choice to... Because, I mean, you, you have Loki fighting Thor, and you're like, oh, obviously Thor is his massive physical superior, but you remember Asgardians are all superhuman compared to normal humans, and what do you do straight away? If you take away Thor and have him versus normal dudes... He mops the floor with them. He's murdering everything that he sees, and immediately he's a far more like threatening villain. They they shoot him in a cool way, and like he seems a lot more more comfortable. and And Joss Whedon writes him so well because he loves writing this sort of faux Shakespeare language. And it's you know Kenneth Branagh can direct Shakespeare, but I'm not sure those films were being written by people that could handle the material as well as Joss does. And you know it's, it's lines as simple as like I'm burdened with glorious purpose and stuff. It just he's just such a step above where he was in Thor. You can tell that Joss Whedon has a thing for writing villainous characters who have maybe a shade too much good in them for their own liking. (laughs) You see it on Angel, you see it, or see it in Angel in Buffy, you see it in most of the cast of Firefly. Like, he's written a lot of characters who are like Loki. I think this is the most villainous he's gone with someone who will be redeemed later on, not necessarily by him, but like, you can tell he's just having fun writing this big meaty dialogue that is just so gripping in melodrama that it's just a glam diva isn't it Um, yeah we will talk about him more as we go but i mean his plan here is thanos is giving him an army to conquer earth in exchange for getting the tesseract for him we will right i have a quibble with this yes so thanos's plan is loki take the one infinity stone i have that we know of that we know of, and go get me, and go get me another one. But does Loki know their Infinity Stones? That was my justification because yes, the the scepter that Loki uses to take over minds is also later revealed to be an Infinity Stone. I don't know if Marvel knew both of those were when they wrote this. I would imagine they knew the st- the the scepter was. But yeah, the idea that Thanos you know desperately craves these and he gives one away to, to someone to go get another one is a bit dubious. But one yeah, has to just assume then... that he thinks that Loki doesn't know. So then he ends the movie and he has neither of them. That is a true thing. But anyway, we need to move on from this scene, really. I like it. I like what it does for Loki, but it is probably the least interesting moment in the entire film. Moving on. Uh, So realising the severity of the situation, Fury makes the call to bring in Tony Stark and Bruce Banner for their scientific minds only, I promise. And also he goes to get Steve Rogers. He sends Coulson and Black Widow to go get these people. I didn't mention Coulson in that opening scene because uh, he's there, but we're going to talk about him now a bit because... This is where he finally, like, becomes Coulson, which is weird because you talk about this character with such, you know, fondness, but he, as we've learned, he doesn't really fully step into the role until this. And spoilers, he dies in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, Joss Whedon is very good at these kind of a little bit dithery, but also will break out something badass type characters. Like men in suits who are like just kind of pasty white dudes, but they do have a slight edge to them. Yeah, the first scene with Coulson where he's actually like interacting with the human beings, which is him, Tony and uh, Pepper in Stark Tower... Like, he's so much more comfortable. Yeah. He's bantering with the best of them, and, like, it's just so well-structured. Because, obviously, like, Robert Downey Jr. is good when he's getting quippy dialogue written by the people who wrote the Iron Man movies. Robert Downey Jr. is at another level where he's writing quippy dialogue written by Joss Whedon. Mm. The whole thing about, like, the the 12% of a moment and, <laughs> like, all that stuff is just so well-handled, and Coulson fits into that so much better than you think he would for someone who has basically been playing the 
I am the connective tissue between these three movies and don't really have a character. You get more character in the throwaway line of what happened to the cellist yeah. <laughs> um, than anything else. And now that character is supported five going on six seasons of a television show. Like, yes, well, well, we'll, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> I like stuff like him threatening to blow up the block while he's calling Black Widow's kidnappers or would-be kidnappers. Very, very no-nonsense. And then just so, just sitting there patiently on hold while she Yeah, out. like, so those cutaways are great because it's just, I mean, but it's, again, one of those Joss Whedon moments. It's like, no other, I can't think of any other director that they'd hired to this point that would go, you know what would be funny if we cut away to Agent Coulson listening in as Black Widow does her thing. And speaking of Black Widow, Scarlett Johansson is back. This little moment with her in the chair, I don't want to say it's my absolute favourite scene in the film, but it is definitely one of them. Her just sort of mocking these men that seem to have her dead to rights. So she's wearing this like skimpy little dress and they've got her tied to a chair and they're going to throw her off and then she's just like mocking them. It, it's so good. And the, the fight choreography with the chair, that it's... The mention that Hawkeye's been taken is what makes her drop her mission that she's adamant about. Just, oh, so good. And obviously there was a mandate that has come down from up on high from the business people that like that there's not going to be toys of Black Widow. We're not doing a Black Widow movie. So I think Joss Whedon did everything he could to kind of make this a Black Widow movie while still giving everyone else so much time. And they they drop all these hints around the edges with her about her past, and I'm going to bring them up every time we get to them. But I think it's just so well done, and and she she's great. She's really natural. Like the look of the character is better now, and and the fight choreography I think is better, and I think it will follow through uh, to her future appearances. For better or worse, Joss Whedon likes to write the kind of character that. Black Widow is. Yes. We can debate the problematic nature of an awful lot of Joss Whedon's work and a lot of... Go listen to the podcast series, Firefly Now, Serenity Later, if you want to hear me and Mike talk about Joss Whedon, the feminist. Sorry, go on. And, and then also you've got to like, remember the, the more recent accusations that have yes. been thrown against him. Joss Whedon is hashtag problematic, to put it mildly at this point, but he does have a skill. Like There is a reason why Joss Whedon did get labelled for a while as a feminist, and that is because of I do think that he is incredibly important to an awful lot of girls growing up for writing strong female characters, to use the the term, which is always a bit cloying. Um, But yeah, like Buffy and Faith and... What River turned into, in a way. Yeah, yeah. Like, a lot of... uh, His archetypal character is very much this. And when he comes into this movie, you can tell that that is the character that he associates with the best. Yes. Like, she... Yes, she can't fight as well, but I think pound for pound, apart from Tony, she probably gets the best... Tony or Loki, she probably gets the best scenes aside from the fight scenes. Yeah. Like, she gets gets this, there's the confrontation with Loki later. Yeah, like, she gets us so much more to do, and part of it is to recognise the fact that she's not going to be able... She's not going to be the one that's going to take out the entire army at the end, but Joss nails what is so good about this character in one and you can see that they kind of have to restructure the character around this later on and I don't think they quite have it when you get to Winter Soldier I think she's slightly different in terms of characterization when you get to that one but every other appearance post this one is heavily indebted to this kind of mild rewrite that he's done to her DNA in this movie you you talk about the great scenes she gets to do one of them is 
We have Mark Ruffalo here as Bruce Banner, recast from Ed Norton. He was in the running to play the Hulk before Ed Norton got cast. He was actually the director of The Incredible Hulk's first choice, uh, Louis Leterrier's first choice. He is staggeringly good in this film, in my opinion. He has these jittery little mannerisms. He exudes all this guilt and remorse in a way. Like Ed Norton talked about the guilt that Banner carries, but I see it on Mark Ruffalo. He's a very good physical actor. Like, go watch Foxcatcher. He looks like a different fucking person. It's just wearing this world-weary, cynical smile and touching the little cradle and saying, I can't every time get what I want, which was an improvised moment. And they introduced this concept. He talks about the other guy as a way of talking about the Hulk and just his body language and all of this stuff is so, so good. And as I said, like he took this role from Ed Norton and he's been the Hulk ever since. And we'll talk about Hulk later on, but just his work here as Bruce Banner, as, as, uh, as Natasha comes to sort of bring him in, I think is incredible. Yeah, like the the, the play off into them, because obviously Scarlett Johansson as Natasha Romanoff is not showing anything in that scene whatsoever. Like she's being the cool, calming voice of reason yeah. and you can tell that Bruce isn't buying it 100%. And so that moment where he just shouts at her, you're lying, and she just pulls out the gun from under the table and just has this look of utter terror on her face. Yeah, she really sells her fear of Hulk throughout this. And you see all the, the soldiers outside when she claimed that she'd come alone and all that, and he's just like, I knew it. Yeah, and I, I talked about you know these hints at her backstory when because obviously she lures him there using this little girl who's claiming her father is sick or or a grandfather I think it's her father and he goes oh do they start on that young and she says I did and it's just like oh that's something I want to hear more about and they do this over and over again and I'm going to keep bringing them up but yeah I I love what they do they also do a very slight retcon it's not in this scene it's, it's when Coulson's talking to Cat but they say that Banner was trying to recreate the super soldier serum and it's like hmm are you you just glossing or is that your new like statement of intent here but yeah i mean i think like it's it's one of those things where it's like was banner trying or was he hired to try and wasn't told that was exactly what was happening Indeed. i I, you, I think it can work in multiple ways but yeah like it does seem weird that bruce banner is explicitly i'm going to turn myself into captain america doesn't feel like the kind of thing <laughs> that bruce banner would do yeah but i can see a world in which thunderbolt ross hires him to try and recreate it yes and he isn't 100 percent like he isn't he doesn't know that what he's trying to do is do a super soldier serum or something that will make people more physically fit and yeah. who knows this is also clearly the the start of an ongoing storyline that i feel everyone on the planet other than me is furious about and it is the romance between bruce and natasha that will come up in earnest in age of ultron I don't know if it was even planned at this moment, but just they have good chemistry. I think just yeah. in real life, like I think they've worked on like three films together or some, or at least one before this, and I think they share a birthday and yeah, they just have incredible chemistry. And yeah, not? like that. That's the thing is like when you get this kind of thing and you have these actors who do have this much chemistry, and obviously Chris Evans and Scarlett Johansson's chemistry is a different kind of chemistry, and I think that would be the more obvious choice would be to hook these two people up. Yeah. in this world and i think that um, has that is a st uh, romance that has occurred in the ultimate universe maybe i don't know i've seen an animated movie adapted from comics where uh, they are together the more recent romance is natasha and bucky but that's yes. <laughs> definitely not something they'll be att attempting in these in these films but yeah, yeah scarlett johansson and mark ruffalo have 
so super good chemistry and you can tell why joss would pick up on it to delve into it in the second movie we can debate problematic natures <laughs> of that relationship in that movie we will. Uh, but i for, think yeah. they're really good at like accessing each other's like haunted pasts i think it's good so we've mentioned captain america we've mentioned chris evans in the last couple of minutes he is back as steve rogers captain america the scene that we saw at the end of his movie with the punching bag is back in higher quality got cropped to the middle of the screen for no. some bizarre reason. Yeah, he is punching a punching bag while having flashbacks from going into the ice for those that didn't see the movie. And Including it, a shot that they've done specifically for this with him explicitly in the ice. Yes. Um, <laughs> which, which seems like just very weird and very quick and it's just like god they really went through a lot of effort just for this two second shot it's so tony can call him a capsicle chris evans's performance is so understated because he's playing a soldier he is very no nonsense he's like right what's the mission he will give his opinion sometimes but he just kind of wants to go with it and i think that falls under the radar when you have people as flamboyant as loki and tony stark and thor and you you know you have these explosive you're waiting for hulk to become hulk and all that and Chris Evans here and throughout, you see him physically portraying this man who is out of outside of time, and you see this sadness on his face all the time. And it, it we'll see a lot more of it uh, in a few episodes' time. But it's a rare example of consequence. Like we we are in orders from Mike Thomas to talk about, and you want to talk about it as well. I know how often Marvel will just scrap a plot line in their next movie. They'll be like, oh look at this cool thing, and then just forget about it next time. One of the rare instances of consequence is Cap going into that ice, losing everything, and like he carries that with him always. And yeah, I, I like what he does here. We'll, we'll talk about his costume later. But, uh... <laughs> I think yeah, I think it's it's interesting because obviously it's up to Winter Soldier to kind of delve more into that. But I think this movie does a really good job of the man out of time. And I think there are other characters that kind of help that. I think Coulson's obviously a big part of helping him feel <laughs> that estranged. Yeah, um, like fangirling from... him with the, you know, I watched you sleeping. I was present when you were unconscious, all of that. Like... Yeah, like, you, you can tell that it's something that Joss is interested in, but doesn't necessarily have time because Cap can't be thinking about the past. He has to be in the present now and stuff like that. And so he can react weirdly to stuff. And you get the, the great scene with him making the bet with Nick Fury about like $10 says that you'll see something that will blow your mind or whatever the, the phrasing is. Yeah, and just um, immediately hands it over when the helicopter yeah, takes off. Yeah, like like it's like uh, 10 minutes later in the movie that he sees something that's absolutely incredible to him. And like th- that is a nice undercurrent. But yeah, because the character is basically supposed to be level-headed and steadfast, like he doesn't get to show off quite as much as some of the other characters do in this movie. I think at points the movie is struggling to figure out what to do with him because he isn't a genius. The, the, <laughs> he isn't a genius and he isn't the the punching force. And so basically he does kind of get like he's one of the only characters that doesn't get like a pivotal role to play in the final scene. But instead instead he gets the the kind of something that will become a criticism of other superhero movies is that like he is there to help people. He is he's hearts and minds, he inspires. Like that obviously Thor would kick his ass, but like he is their leader. He he is the mind and he inspires people and you know, Coulson talks about people could use a little bit more old fashioned because you know, a lot of critics or, or people that didn't like this character historically, and, you know, we talked about the potential harm it might have had on the, the box office of Captain America. I feel the whole thing about Cap wasn't going to wear a suit. 
and Coulson is the one that brings it out and he's like oh isn't that a little bit old fashioned I feel that's like a sort of way of addressing that but it just ends up working he becomes the symbol of this team and the, throughout the MCU there's no character who like I grew to appreciate more than Cap like going no, from no, like I, oh he's not as lame as I thought to like he is probably my favourite ongoing character yeah I think Captain America is definitely the the best achievement in characterization that these movies have got but yeah I, I just think this movie does struggle with him at points to figure out what he should be doing in context of the the whole yeah like he do, he does what he does really well and when he when he gets to voice his opinions and be a leader he's fantastic but you look at the part that he plays in some of this stuff yeah. and it's just like you had to throw in a little extra just to make sure he seemed like he was actually a yeah. functioning part of this team. Indeed. Let's get to the biggest star, like the one that was the biggest success for them in, in Phase 1. Robert Downey Jr. is back as Tony Stark. He brings with him Gwyneth Paltrow as Pepper Potts. By his insistence, she's there. Joss Whedon wanted none of the supporting characters because he wanted to cut everyone off from their, like, sort of support systems. But, you know, good for Robert Downey Jr. And, like, he has always pushed for Gwyneth Paltrow to get more to do and everything, so good, good for you, dude. He also was pushing for Tony to be the, like, undisputed lead of this movie. He thought Joss Whedon was out of his mind for not opening the film with Tony. They, at one point, apparently were trying a version of the script where he was, and they agreed it didn't work. And, you know, you do wait quite a long time to see the guy that, statistically speaking most people are paying to see yeah he is the second to last of the avengers to show up on screen yeah and the the last one is a guy that was like fresh off like australian soap operas and a, a cameo in a star trek movie yeah the number of quips <laughs> is multiplied by 10 he is constantly saying things and i think you can kind of see in robert downey jr the sort of enthusiasm for improv you talked about the energy of improv that iron man one has and how that's that's down in Iron Man 2. I think it's back here, and he's genuinely reveling in the chance to just say shit. And he's got more mo- he's got more toys to play with. I think is the way that he looks at this. He's got so many characters to bounce off and, and concepts. And I actually think some of the quips are not as funny as some of the stuff you get in the Iron Man solo movies. Some of them are very funny, but I think because of the sheer volume, some of them are a little bit lame. But I will say his. Like, his poignant dialogue is way better than it's been so far. And I do think Joss Whedon does have a voice for Tony Stark in his head, and I think he does do it well. I'm not going to say this is his best best performance in this role so far, because I think that's still Iron Man 1. Yeah. But I do think that, like, he brings a confidence to it, because this is his fourth time playing this character. Yeah. Um, he is the... the the big daddy really of this movie that, that felt weird um, <laughs> i could tell by the way you reacted to yourself saying it <laughs> uh yeah but like he's he's the one that kind of like grounds it all like because he's the the kind of esteemed older actor who's kind of like yeah. welcoming everyone to his play, his playground yeah. uh, like, everything's gonna be okay everyone I'm yeah there. like <laughs> there are other people who have done the character this many times but still he's got two solo movies and a team movie teamed up for himself so yeah, like he definitely works really well in this scene. Yeah. I like the transition. Cap says about the Tesseract, you should have left it at the bottom of the ocean. And the next thing you see is Tony underwater working on his clean energy project. And that is, of course, a continuation of this plot line with Tony, where he's trying to atone for his past of being a, uh, a merchant of war. He is now trying to help others and have a legacy and all of these fun things. 
I like it, it, you know you talked about it I, I think there's no need to go over it again but you know the the kind of quippy back and forth with Pepper and her punishing him for his sort of ill-chosen words and everything. I also really like the, the small detail of Tony doesn't like to be handed things. It's very eccentric billionaire And, you know, Pepper's just walking around barefoot. I th- she's clearly just here for this one scene, but it, it's warm, it's nice, it's fun to see these two together. You look at them and you're like, ah, and then now it's time for superheroes the, the two of them they probably have the best chemistry like in a single scene like they kind of like play that chemistry off it so much better than a lot of the individual scenes in the iron man movies do yeah. like it this is basically like a five minute dedicated scene to just saying like don't these two actors have really good chemistry with each other <laughs> yeah. which there are moments in the iron man movies where they get to do that but like for the most part they were kind of separate or like they kind of this is the first time we get to see them as a couple and you can tell it, they work as a couple. Yeah, they do. His name is Agent. So we've got our team now. Uh, they go. They are setting about looking for the Tesseract. They find Loki in in Germany, very clearly not hiding. They they go and get him. After a very brief fight, they capture him and they are taking him back to their base. When Thor shows up to uh, to snatch Loki away. This doesn't go down with well with Tony, so they have a huge fight and Cap intervenes. So, firstly, very small but very important detail. Loki in a suit, smirking while people run away from him. Very hot. His little mwahaha, I'm going to conquer everything speech. As those go, it's, it's not an awful one. And then you have Cap jumping in and saying, the last time I was in Germany and saw a man standing above everyone else, we ended up disagreeing. Cap is here in his costume, Ben. Phil Coulson should never be allowed to design anyone's costume ever again. <laughs> oh my god. Like, I get what they're going for. They're going for that kind of sleek, modernised take on something that works in a Jack Kirby comic. But the thing is, they already did a really good version of it in Captain America that looked like a really good, modernised version of the Captain America costume that felt practical. This is not practical. This level of costuming is the kind of thing that you'd expect from, like, Sam Raimi's take on Spider-Man. Yeah. The candy heroes of the late 90s, early thousands. Yeah. Every other costume in this movie looks like it's something like... We've already seen Thor's costume, but that still feels kind of like armour and, like, something a Norse god would wear. Whereas this is, like, the the full blue bodysuit that's, like, lycra and skin-huggy and stuff like that. It's just like, no, this isn't... And the helmet's bad the, eye uh, the hell is wrong. bad Ugh. yeah like it's just like and you can tell that they thought it was bad because like they make a big point of him going back to his world war ii costume in, in winter soldier sure like do. this costume is never seen again no. like and for very good reason i can tell why they did it i'm glad they tried it it's just a shame that it's like easily easily the worst costuming decision that the mcu has made like every other character in this in this franchise looks like a excellent modernization of it whereas this feels like just so bad and so cheap and so out of place and i'm glad the front cover of the dvd kind of like hides it away but like <laughs> my my god like when they do that shot in act three with the circle shot of the ball standing around and it finishes on cap and it's just like oh my god get that horrific eyesore <laughs> out of my face yeah this turn the is, brightness down it's fine <laughs> this is this is bad yeah. and i'm glad they fix it but it's i'm it, looking at a picture of it right now and uh, it's just oh my god it's so dumb <laughs> 
I like when Tony shows up, he hacks the uh, the PA system of the little shield jet and starts playing Shoot Thrill by ACDC. It's fun. <laughs> he starts chipping away at Cap a little bit. It's a little bit friendlier at first. We will talk about Tony versus Cap, obviously in many podcasts, time, but also later in this one. But Chris Hemsworth is here as Thor literally from the heavens lands on this jet and then just throws Tony out <laughs> whatever and grabs Loki and just and just flies off. And we get this scene on a mountaintop that I adore. And Chris Hemsworth is so much better than he was in Thor. Uh, they... Do you want to take a moment to talk about his eyebrows? How dare you. I gushed about it in Thor. I'm going to gush about it in Thor too. I'll probably gush about it a little bit more in Ragnarok. The bond between Thor and Loki is something I love. And knowing that these two, where we last left off, they were fighting each other bitterly. Knowing that Thor can have his way with Loki. Well, not like that. Calm down, Weinstein. And they don't fight. They are just standing there talking to each other, passionately. And I just think it's so well done, this little scene on a mountain with two ravens, because that's cute, Odin. And Thor just says, you know, I thought you dead. And you can see it in his face when he's talking about how he thought Loki was dead. He just genuinely, through this whole thing, wants his brother to come home with him. And he's very naive to who his brother is as a person, but, you know, just give up this poisonous dream, you come home, like... He loves him, and I do really like that about this, that it is nuanced, it isn't just good versus evil, that they'll, they'll make the joke about it, like he's adopted and all that later, but for now we continue to get this very realistically played scene between two brothers. Yeah, so at Mike Thomas's request, we do have to discuss yes. the, the abandoned plotline here, which is that Thor ends with them destroying the Bifrost. Mm-hmm. Can't um, see Jane anymore. He cannot see Jane anymore. Avengers opens up and Thor just arrives on Earth. How much of the All-Father's dark magic did he have to use (laughs) to send you here? In their very brief, but brief defence, but like still not good guys, Loki does make a point in Thor 1 of saying there are other ways to move about, and he clearly does that because his machinations, he does them aside from the Bifrost. But yeah, it's bad. They wrote themselves into a corner and were like, oh shit, we need him in Avengers. Yeah, like, I think I think the reason it plays, and this is one of the things where it's just like, one, you don't want to open up the movie, which might be people's first time seeing Thor. You look at the box office number for this, and this is not people who have just seen one of the other movies. This is a combination of kind of all those people. So this might be people's first time seeing Thor. It was mine. You do not want to open it and go like, ah, the rainbow bridge is broken. Well, we fixed it now. Now you can go see Loki. Like, the <laughs> pace of the movie would be damaged if they did have to do that kind of thing. Yeah. Yes, for the diehards, it's just kind of this weird moment. You just kind of go like, oh, but okay, so that big cliffhanger emotional ending means nothing now. But the only reason it carries on working is because they carry on the emotional beat that was there at the end of Thor through this. Mm. So even though you kind of get this weird disconnect where you go like, oh, they've abandoned that plot point entirely, you still sit there and go, but the relationship between Loki and Thor is still what it was when I last saw them. And that is a continuation that can kind of carry me through this weird plot disconnect. So as long as you're not one of those people who's like (laughs) going like, the MCU makes no sense on a plotting level, you're fine. I mean, yeah, I I just remember seeing this scene and thinking, wow, there's like genuine like high drama happening here with these people. I like this. I'll go watch Thor. And I was like, "Eh, it's good. So obviously Tony then shows back up to fight Thor. We get our first infighting scene and it's a lot of fun. Weta took over the digital effects from, I think ILM had been handling most of it for Marvel, certainly with with the Iron Man character. I think Iron Man generally looks a lot better in this movie than he has done up to now, and he looks more like he 
just if I think of Iron Man now, he he looks like this. And it's just a big dumb fight where they're flying around and smashing each other, and I, it's just really really fun. Dost thou mother know if you weareth her drapes? Indeed, improvised by Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> like yeah, like again, Shakespeare in the Park. Like it's all good fun, and it's what you want from the first time these characters meet in comic books. Like the kind of trend of superheroes fighting each other has kind of played out yeah but i do think it works here because i do think they kind of keep it brief and they highlight the differences between these two and it does make it mean more yeah when they put their differences aside but this is a fun one where you can see the reasoning behind why they're doing this yeah like you can see why tony and thor are hot-headed enough to think that this is the way to settle the differences and then cap has to come in as like no this is this is dumb (laughs) stop this you two the the shot of the three of them standing in the clearing is money yeah um (laughs) but and it just it just kind of helps at the end because it also positions cap into being like i don't like tony because of how brash he is like you can tell that cap kind of can see where thor is operating from in his thoughts yes but he sees what tony's doing is just like this guy's a douchebag like (laughs) oh i totally forgot uh his line of there's only one god man and i'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that just this very god-fearing polite man that he is calling her ma'am and all that it's it's delightful who steve rogers is so they got loki in custody they try and get information out of him tensions arise on the helicarrier and this has all been part of Loki's plan because Hawkeye and Loki's dudes, who I guess they're all just captured Shield agents. Well, they're captured Shield agents, and then there's the line that Hawkeye delivers about like Shield has more more enemies than you'd think. Mm. So I think they're just kind of like a terrorist cell that they just kind of go like, "Hey, do you guys want to go fuck with Shield for a little bit?" It's aim, bro. More on that next time. <laughs> so during all the chaos of their attack, Banner transforms into Hulk against his will and rampages through the helicarrier and fights Thor. Tony and Cap have to work to stop the helicarrier from falling out of the fucking sky, (laughs) and Black Widow manages to free Hawkeye from his mind control with a big old shot to the head. Who knew? While escaping, Loki kills Coulson, and that's not okay. So, like, this is a very important stretch to the movie, and I think one thing I noticed this time that I kind of hadn't before is they shoot loki really well in this film like when they bring him aboard there's all this blurring and they shoot him from weird angles and put him at odd places on the screen and they do a really good job of making him look menacing like this dude does look like a very scary person and like we've seen him murdering people in this whereas before he was just kind of like the sniveling chicken shit heel to to thor's like big menacing conquering hero this time they he's lecter-esque almost yeah like there's a lot of hannibal lecter to this like yeah. those Parasons get more explicit later on in the movie, but for now, like, the way they're treating him definitely feels like he is yeah. <laughs> going to try and take a bite out of someone. Yeah. This, the, apart from Act 3, this is this is my favourite sustained acting stretch yeah. from anyone, because this, this is when... What Act 3 is is not what Joss Whedon does best. It just kind of ends up being this massive fun fireworks show. This is where Joss Whedon is at his peak of yes. what he does, and that is... Characters dialogue, bickering. Characters dialogue bickering, like, yeah. Reveals in the middle of heated conversations, like, all, all of that good stuff. You know, we've, we've got the team together, all in one room, for the first time, minus Hawkeye, sorry bro. And, you know, you've got Tony walking around calling Thor at point break and, and just quipping his ass off. He has become an expert in... I can't even say it overnight and uh you know you tony and bruce swapping science jargon and then like being scientists together 
is delightful and launched so much fan fiction and we get to see them drive off together at the end and just oh science bros. yeah exactly I, I do want to just mention in relation to that like cap's line of like tony going oh finally someone who can speak english and then cap just going like is, is that, that what just happened <laughs> yeah yeah it's good stuff i'm a huge fan of the way you lose control and turn into an enormous green rage monster it's fun and like trying to make him transform as well like he shocks him and then like looks at him and it's like wow okay that yeah. man over there is playing gallagher <laughs> and then they edited that in because he improvised that you know eating his berries and rewarding people for saying things he think are good it's just great and like they they do some stuff here where like the characters have little conversations with each other that kind of gloss over plot details from their films thor talks to colson because it's the only person he knows about Jane and and sort of his past with with Loki and Asgard. Tony and and, and Bruce are talking to each other, and, and like he's talking about the arc reactor just to remind you he's got that, and it will be important later. All of that is good, but the big thing here before the next big thing here is Tony and Steve's bickering really kicks up here. It's something they will ride throughout this film. And it's something they will ride on a crest through to Civil War. Fundamentally, Tony doesn't take anything very seriously. And Cap doesn't like that, because he takes everything very seriously. <laughs> and just, you know, like, mocking... Like, he doesn't like his building. It goes that far that Cap is like, oh, that big ugly thing in New York. And just Tony... Like, Robert Downey Jr.'s face when he says that. And, you know, uh, who in this room is A, wearing a spangly outfit, and B, not of use? And, like, you can actually see Chris Evans starting to sell that of, like, he suddenly starts to feel quite silly wearing his outfit walking around while everyone yeah. else is dressed normally. It's so, so good. And, like, you know, Tony saying, oh, that's the guy my dad wouldn't shut, shut up about. And that's very revealing of him, that he probably, the reason he went so hard on Caps straight away when they met, he has grown up hearing about, oh, back in the war I worked with Captain America and all this stuff. And, you yeah, know, like Tony he's has got, clear He's still got the shield sat in his workshop Indeed. in Iron Man 2. <laughs> Yeah, like I love, I love the layering of foreshadowing into this this scene. Like you get stuff like, oh, you're not the kind of person to sacrifice themselves. You're not, you're not going to make the sacrifice play. Yeah, you wouldn't uh, crawl over to. wire to save someone else. And just like, oh, I'd probably just cut the wire. <laughs> yeah, and like, and you get you get that, and then yeah, there's just so many little pieces that just kind of like play out importantly later. Like as you mentioned, the arc reactor and stuff like that, yeah. and like it so seamlessly fits in what they're talking about that you don't realize it's like thematically important until you watch it again you go like, oh god they were seeding that part throughout it all yeah and then you've got like the fun just the fundamental difference between cap and tony like you've got the whole scene which is like take you out of the suit what are you and genius then, billionaire playboy philanthropist and black and just scarlett hansen's just like hmm, yeah <laughs> like, <laughs> and then he, te- he tells him everything about special that you came out of a bottle like i think you can see tony has a bit of an inferiority complex here like steve steve rogers is a walking legend and he is a man who everything is physical and, and like from his own hands. And Tony's like, I build things, like I create incredible things. Like, why am I not adored like this? So I'm intrigued. Yeah. So obviously, like that is probably the most interesting and thematically rich bickering contest that goes on in that scene. But there is the other important one, which is what Nick Fury's been planning with yes. the Tesseract technology, which. Yeah. 
I think is important to later movies in the franchise, but I'm just like, what are your thoughts on like? Oh, don't worry, I have notes on everything. <laughs> I, I figured film, you would. I think it's very Set key that up. they call it Phase Two as we head into Phase Two of Marvel as well. I think it's great that the 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 way they sell it, like Tony is hacking Shield and trying to figure out what's happening. Cap goes off and physically busts into this secret area and brings out the weapons, and Fury turns up. And I, I also think you know Cap going behind Fury's back and everything, despite previously defending him. That's very very nice foreshadowing to where his character is going to go and showing he is not just a mindless sheep who follows orders and the way they shoot it when fury says you know when they're like yeah we're using the tesseract to build weapons he goes because of him and then points and then sort of the camera follows him across to thor and thor's just like huh <laughs> like what did i do i think it's great it's very important because it, it as i said it foreshadows this idea that shield are not maybe as on the up and up as you think it is a very real thing of the dark side of these big government type organizations and i think as i think it's just a really well written six-way argument more than yeah, anything it's interesting because i think there's point like thor is kind of like thor's interesting arc in this movie is the stuff with loki but in that six-way argument he's kind of like lost a little bit because his i mean his basic argument is saying like i'm not a threat and it's just like well, it's a pretty good one because he knows he's not a threat but he knows he's he... not a threat but it's still like you still go like ah oh, but loki's here and loki's yeah. obviously causing a problem like I, but then he points out by showing you have these weapons you are inviting a higher form of war or whatever so yeah it's a very good sort of cause and effect thing and like Amidst all of this bickering, you have Banner, who reveals in this moment that he attempted to kill himself. And it is a thing that you, uh, is a deleted scene for The Incredible Hulk. Just him talking about the other guy spat it out. And it's just like, you see all this pain in him. And everyone sort of shuts up when he starts talking. It's so, so good. And obviously, you have this weird foreshadowing with he's picking up the scepter. And we later learn that has the Mind Stone in it. But... It always struck me at the time as kind of a... I don't know, it's kind of a, a plot point that doesn't go anywhere, almost. It's like, oh, something else going to happen here, but it's kind of for nothing, in a way. I think, I think like, what they're setting up is that Loki is still somewhat in control of the Scepter yes. in this scene. Like, he is playing them off each other, yeah. and there is something about an Infinity Stone that yeah. on some level gets you... <laughs> subconsciously yeah. like i mean it's cool it's just it felt like it was setting something up that yeah no t- definitely but i do i do think like future movies do kind of like you can watch this again and go like oh i get kind of what they're trying yeah. to imply about infinity stones like infinity yeah. stones have this innate i just kind of want to touch it vibe <laughs> to them yeah you talk about loki still being in control we have to talk about this scene so they <laughs> have him in this cage that is designed for if hulk starts rampaging to contain him and it it will drop from the helicarrier down to earth and kill whoever's in it and they're keeping loki in it and he very immediately is like not meant for me i think and he he knows he's being watched he knows they're listening he keeps directing comments to them that hint to his plans and you know they they all try and intimidate him but the person that breaks him is black widow and i fucking love this scene (laughs) because this could so easily have just been cliched where she's tricking him and, you know, she's trying to make a deal. She's like, hey, you know, I, I want Hawkeye back. And, and, you know, she says, you know, love is for children. I owe him a debt. And she's talking about trying to clear her past and all this stuff. Loki at first admires her. And then it turns to him trying to intimidate her. And he says the immortal line of you mewling quim. And she, he does a really good job of seeming intimidating. And she does an even better job of seeming genuinely afraid of this man who's inside of a cage only for the ultimate reveal of, like, uh, you know, we learn that his plan is to 
make the Hulk rampage and kill them all. And she just goes, ah, oh, so that's your play. Banner. Okay, bye. And then he's like, wait, what? <laughs> and it's just so, 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 so well done. And again, they've all had their solo movies. This is Black Widow's solo movie, in my opinion. And they just all happen to be here on some level. Yeah, like, oh, she... They are both so good in this scene. Like, you can tell something's up when she turns around and starts to cry, because it's kind of obvious fake crying. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, like, it's just just her reaction afterwards to that reveal and just the kind of, like, cockiness that's just yeah. like, and, like... Oh, music you think... ducks out and everything. And, yeah, you yeah. think you were playing me? No, I'm playing you. I'm the master spy in this situation. Because yeah. we, we, we have to remember that. Like, people think of this in terms of, like, who's, like, the best fighter. It's like, Black Widow is, like, meant to be potentially the world's best active field agent spy like she does this shit and like she can't you know punch a hole through a monster or anything but she does what she does and it's very effective Mewling Quim is immortal as you can get from this movie because I <laughs> there are problematic elements to that yes like in terms of what that word is like it, yes. it, <laughs> I'm surprised they got away with it <laughs> I'm incredibly surprised they got away with it so I, I you can tell that Jocelyn was very excited to kind of get that get that in there because yes. it is it's a very good line but it definitely like it's ugly but it's good it's, it's yeah it's it's ugly and you can tell the kind of purpose it fits but mm-hmm. definitely like if you know what that word means, you kind of go like, that went <laughs> Very far. far. <laughs> yes. Okay, so obviously his plan works when they attack. Uh, Bruce Banner is, you know, the shock of, of the attack and a fall and everything stresses him out so much. He becomes the Hulk and he begins to rampage. And they shoot it like a horror movie. It's something I mentioned in The Incredible Hulk that I thought they did pretty well. They do it better here. It is so tense when she is trapped, uh, Black Widow is trapped with Hulk, and she's sort of moving around the room trying to avoid or even find this giant rage monster. And it made me jump when he sort of roars at her out of nowhere. And the, the way they shoot it when she's running away and clambering and everything, like you get this real sense of speed and urgency. And she will sell the encounter so, so well afterwards where she's on the radio with Fury and she has to like really compose herself before she can go do it. I absolutely adore the scene where she's running away and just, it's close up on her, but you can see Hulk gaining on her and just yeah. utterly destroying this random bank of glass that's kind of like <laughs> between the two of them. Yeah. And, like, and they just sort of like, so like nonchalantly just bats her to the side and she goes flying it's yeah. just like oh god and he's not even like punching or anything yeah like of the kind of the three assault areas in this part of the film this is by far the best yeah like like in in this scene like everyone's split up and doing their own kind of thing against different people but yes. like this one that's black widow hulk and eventually thor is yeah, yeah, yeah. is easily the best best of those three yeah. because this is what you wanted from hulk like this is the big Hulk reveal of this movie. Like yeah. we know Hulk's going to be there at some point, but this is like Hulk needs to feel like a threat. Like Hulk is Hulk is never going to be in a movie where he isn't a threat to the heroes as well to the villains. Yeah. You don't and... want him to just be like a smart, like a oh, but he's good, like gullible, uh, lovable, big like doofus who's super strong. You want him to have that element of danger so you can justify why Banner behaves the way he behaves. And... Every every movie with Hulk in it has has had this scene. I think this is still the most effective. I think there are probably Probably more spectacular versions of Hulk versus the heroes, but this is <laughs> this is still the one that I come back to and think yeah. th- this this really sells. Hulk is terrifying to the good guys as well as to the bad yeah. guys, and Hulk looks really good now as well. Like we we had our complaints about how he looks. They are now officially motion capturing Mark Ruffalo's face, and it looks like Ruffalo when he's transformed. It doesn't just 
switch into some different looking dude. He motion captured all of it. He will improvise some scenes later on. They blend his voice with Lou Ferrigno. It just, it feels immediately more authentic. Uh, And not not even that many years after they spent probably more money working on Incredible Hulk uh, on just how Hulk looks, I mean. And yeah, it just looks really, really good. This whole section's obviously a nod to that first Avengers story with Loki trying to use Hulk against them and everything. So it's fun. Uh, you mentioned, you know, Thor joins in. I love watching Hulk and Thor fight each other. That will be talked about a lot in one of our last podcasts <laughs> in this series. But like, they, they nail all the points that you want them to nail. Like, yeah. the point where Hulk tries to pick up Thor's hammer. Well, is... he catches it first is the thing. It's like, oh shit, he caught it but then he's, he can't lift it and it's like yeah. ah he's so strong but he can't lift it and like the ground is cracking around like he's gonna break the earth before he lifts that hammer so good and it, it's just fun because Thor is the one character who you know he's basically invincible which is why you see him I think three maybe even four times in this movie get knocked like off screen um, yeah. and just it's fun because it's the one character who Hulk can cut loose on and who can give Hulk a punch to the face and he'll feel it and it's just, it's just really fun seeing them fight each other and then uh, you, you, know, you get the fun thing where Hulk jumps at a plane that is shooting him because Hulk doesn't think he just wants to smash the pilot ejects <laughs> And he grabs him out of the air and then just throws him anyway. It's like, you've not really achieved anything, but you just (laughs) expressed your raw anger. Very subtle thing to note. We get to see this fighter pilot's eyes because we have to feel sorry for him because later on we will not see a fighter pilot's eyes. So meanwhile, you know, we've talked about this. Nick Fury and Maria Hill are getting to do some ass-kicking. Hawkeye is doing some crazy USB arrows and stuff. I love the scene where he... The first arrow shot that he really gets in the movie is the one which he fires... Banks and he just into like, the like, wind. Yeah. Banks into the wind to go into the, the turbine, and it's just like, ah. Oh. It's not the Hawkeye I want from these movies. The Hawkeye I want is the laid-back version from Matt Fraction and David yeah. Ayer's work, work run on Hawkeye. But, like, if they just... If they only give me cool shots of people banking arrows around things, yeah. I'm more or less happy yeah, with that. That is very cool, but I think the best version of Hawkeye is the one that almost revels in how he's the useless one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> anyway, so meanwhile, Tony and Cap are trying to fix the engine. I don't really have anything to say about this, although I do like that Tony views the whole thing as like a big like math problem, and it's like they're all dying here. <laughs> yeah, like to- Tony. Tony is finding this thing, but as I said earlier, like this is one of those things where you kind of tell like you're struggling for like what Cap should be doing in this yeah. moment. And it's just like, oh, there's conveniently a leather here for Cap to pull. Yeah. He but bats a grenade with... out of the air. That's pretty He fun. does. Like, it's all very cool. And like, it, it serves well to show what Cap's powers are. Yeah. But it's still very much like when you're operating in the scale of we need to stop the helicarrier from crashing into the earth and killing everyone on board. And Thor and Hulk are having a fight and Black Widow's fighting Hawkeye like in a yeah. different room and stuff like that. Like, Cap having a gun and shooting at one agent it's just kind of like on the level, on the scale of magnitude. It's like <laughs> I'm least interested in this, even though yeah. you're Show one of my favorite. Show me the giant yeah. ones punching each other some more. Yeah. So right, Coulson dies. It's very very sad. He pulls out this big gun that is a nice bit of continuity. It is styled after the Destroyer from Thor. He claims even he doesn't know what it does, which you know that's a risky thing to do, Phil. Obviously, the consequence of this moment is annihilated by Coulson showing up in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and they don't even tell you how he survived for like 20 episodes or something. But in the moment, so so sad and everyone reacts to it so beautifully and you have the more sort of shady Nick Fury like you know he's not a white and a white good guy he is just here to protect people by any means. Him using Coulson's death to unite them 
and faking that he had the cards in his pocket when he died and stuff. I think importantly, like he doesn't use it to unite them; he uses it to unite Tony and Cap. Yes, because Black Widow and Hawkeye are. I mean, at this point, Hawkeye's been unbrainwashed. Yeah, we'll talk about um, that. <laughs> yeah, but like they're they're already like on board with this kind of thing. Thor is out of action. Hulk is out of action. Like he is just Fury talking to Tony and Cap at a table. And I get why it's needed because those two were bickering the hardest yeah. in the previous scene. But they had just teamed up to like save the helicarrier. So yeah. like this feels like he's just kind of like really, really just shoving it in there, just kind of going like, "You two need to butt the fuck up." Yeah. <sighs> Poor Carlson. Like you care in one film potentially if this is your first time seeing it, but. Okay, so I just I do want to ask a question, okay. which is so we already mentioned that Agent Shield does kind of destroy the pathos that comes from this scene. He does never show up in the MCU. He m- does never show up though. in the MCU. Yeah, he doesn't show up in the MCU again. So hypothetically, in ten twenty years time, when these movies are being rewatched, do you think that scene will maintain its pathos? Because I doubt there are people who are going to go like, ah, I'm now going to watch the six or seven seasons of Agents <laughs> of Shield and find out what happened to that dead guy. Or I do you think? I feel there is a significant portion of people who have not seen one second of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but love these movies. I think the bigger thing was that they were promoting it, and they're like, oh yeah, and it's going to star Coulson, and people got all up in arms, but they don't really care. Like, it's just because you've told them that. Like, I think if you actually watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., they pull it off pretty well, and I think they've been smart to keep him out of the films. I wonder if he will show up in Avengers 3 or 4, probably more likely 4. I mean, it feels it feels like the relationship between Feige and the TV side or Marvel proper at this point is so frayed that I doubt it would happen. Like if if but the that Netflix is such if... a fan favorite character who got like the rumors are that Avengers 4 they're going to do a lot of time travel stuff. They have to revisit Coulson, I think, but who knows? Yeah, well, I mean, I can't imagine that he will never show up in a movie again. I just can't imagine he's... Like, I feel like the movies will have to do too much explaining if he shows up when the last time we saw him in continuity was him dead. I just like, think, and I think, you know, they could do something cute, like Cap signs the cards and, like, he looks through his cards and they're all signed. He's like, huh? Oh, something like that. I don't know. They I mean, like, they, they've already... Before. He's already kind of tied in because... Spoilers for Age of Ultron, when a heli character shows up in that, like, it was built by Coulson. They just never mentioned Coulson was the one that built it. Yeah, so, like, there's things I can imagine that, like, when Infinity War comes out, there will be an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. inevitable crossover that they're doing that will explain some random thing in the movie. But, like, for now, I think Coulson is not showing up in these movies unless they can figure out how to make him not spend 10 minutes explaining. Well, the, there's the Cree, and... <laughs> no, no, no. Anyway, you mentioned Thor and Hulk are out of action. The only reason I want to bring this up is because of a wonderful piece of uh, trivia from Joss Whedon's commentary on the film. So we see Thor in a field, and he's very temporarily unworthy, and then he sort of refocuses himself, and he picks the hammer up, and he summons this lightning storm. So they filmed this in front of a green screen, and Joss was like, I don't know, it just sort of bothers me. Let me take him out to a field. We'll shoot this. It'll look so much better, trust me. They did that. Then when they were looking in the final edit, he was like, see, look how much better that looks. And then they turned to him and said, oh, this is the green screen. We we, we just did it ourselves. And he said he was genuinely terrified of the power of, of <laughs> computers these days i just i've always liked that and yet harry dean stanton telling uh bruce well son you've got a condition 
And that's fun. <laughs> so Nick Fury rallies the Avengers. They go after Loki, who is trying to open a portal from the top of Stark Tower to bring his army, the Chitauri, through. They come on out and they attack New York and we get a huge fight scene uh, and sort of underpinning this, the World Security Council, who Nick Fury and S.H.I.E.L.D. answer to, order a nuclear strike on Manhattan. Because they don't think that the heroes can do this, because they refer to the Avengers as a bunch of freaks. Before we talk about all the fighting, Hawkeye and Black Widow get their little scene together on the helicarrier. And we get more hinting at her past when he, you know, he talks about being brainwashed, and he's like, do you know what it's like to be unmade? And she says, you know I do. I was like, oh, just give me my Black Widow movie, damn it. They played this scene somewhat romantically, I think. And I think at one point maybe they considered taking it that way, but that was immediately abandoned in the sequel to this. But I I personally read it as they were kind they were trying to hint at some sort of past romance or, or something here, but you know, Jeremy Renner shows up to do some acting at least. Yeah, like this is this is the best he is in the movie is in this one brief scene in terms of like sheer acting but it, it it's too little too late at this point <laughs> yeah. to actually make you care yeah. like it's just like uh okay whatever yeah. like we've like, chosen our people and like you've shown up way past the halfway point so like come on so you get everybody gearing up to the avengers theme we have to talk about the music in this film and i'm not talking about the soundtrack that has soundgarden on it i'm talking about the score the avengers theme which I mean, there's we can skip ahead to it and then come back here, but like when they are all firstly gearing up and then you get the shot panning around them as they're all united in New York, amazing. Yeah, like this is. I made the comment to a friend the other day that like there are only two good character themes in the MCU, and it's the Avengers theme and it's the Captain America theme, which I sadly didn't get discussed last week. But like those two themes are still the best pieces of music that Marvel have put to screen. My friend went to bat to say that the Spider-Man Homecoming and Doctor Strange music is really, really good. Yeah, but one of them. Is. Like, I love, I love, I love Michael Giacchino. But like Alan Silvestri has done when when the Avengers theme started up in the Infinity War trailer, like I got chills. Yeah, that that's the power of a well done theme. Like, yeah, it is something that Marvel doesn't have. It's something that DC has excelled at. Like yeah. the Batman theme and the Superman theme are like iconic pieces of music. The new Wonder Woman theme is <laughs> probably the awesome. best thing in the DCEU. <laughs> yeah, like it orders of magnitude better than almost anything they've done in these movies in terms of themes. But like Captain America and Avengers, like in phase one and until like they start getting people like Michael Giacchino involved this is the best score in the MCU and I can't wait to see what Sylvester does with Infinity War I just know that that, there's going to be like a piano or like string version of this theme that's going to be playing at some like incredibly heart wrenching moment that's going to destroy me the acoustic version of America, fuck yeah, and Team America. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, like I, I'm glad that Marvel have finally decided that they need to put, get some good music involved because every, apart from the Guns of Galaxy soundtrack, not the score, doesn't count. Like, <laughs> yeah, like everything else is just kind of like, oh, did they actually hire people to do music for this? Yeah. And now they've hired Kendrick Lamar, so cool. So Tony <laughs> confronting Loki, I think that's a fun scene. You know, like he attempts to take Stark over, but he can't because the arc reactor is blocking his heart. And Tony does the little thing about ah, performance issues. You know, one in five, apparently. And then you get to see more of Loki's like immense physical strength. He throws him through a fucking window with one hand. And then you get the cool mid-air rocket suit. He also, I forgot to talk about it at the beginning of the film, when he lands in his Iron Man gear on this little runway sort of walkway thing and he's walking and it's taking the suit off for him and then again this sort of suit that goes on to him in midair 
again, fun, fun nods to, you know, the the cartoon and that briefcase scene in Iron Man 2. Good, good stuff. I love that they start getting, like, more creative with, like, how the suit gets on. Yeah. And it's not like, oh, he can only stand in this one specific place. And, like, <laughs> there's little bits like this that they kind of, like, start to make it less dumb. Yeah. And, and, like, you look at that first one, he gets, like, drilled into it. Yeah, um, like, I mean, we'll get into... They the take this to more. an extreme. Yes. They take it to an extreme, an which extreme we'll discuss next week. So it's time for the final fight, which is signified by uh, the, the HUD in Tony's uh, little mask. It changes to like war mode, and I, I really like that. They have this giant fight scene. It is the best final act in, in Phase 1. It might be the best third act in all of the MCU. I think it's the best third act in any comic book movie. Probably. Probably. Uh, like, I don't. I don't think there's any act like even in the movies that I would say are better than this one. Yeah, like the Dark Knight, what? like doesn't end uh, spectacularly. I don't. Think. Yeah. The the boat happens and yeah, <laughs> the, the the boat is not the climax of the movie that you wanted to be. Yes, there is the fun scene with the Joker and Two Face, but like there isn't a steady ramp. Like the movie kind of like cools back down a bit. Whereas this movie, like it gets to the point where the heroes are beaten. And then it beats them some more for about 20 more minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so in the background of this scene was supposed to be Oscorp Tower from the amazing Spider-Man films due, due to a deal between Disney and Sony. But they had to cut it out. So they probably spent some money and like lots of business meetings happened and, and renders were done and then they were like, nah. And that's just... Glad that happened because yeah. then we wouldn't get Tom Holland True. as Spider-Man. We, we would probably be stuck with Andrew Garfield if the deal had gone through afterwards if this had happened. Yeah. That would have been interesting. Yes. So there's so much happening here, it's going to be hard, but I'm, I kind of made my notes chronologically, so this is the order these things happen in, but I like that when Thor is attacking Loki, and then Thor and Loki are fighting, it does seem to briefly relent when Thor is telling, is like, look at what you've done, and I know he does end this scene by stabbing him to reveal he's like faking, but I like to think in my head canon, Loki does have a brief moment of like, God, this has gotten out of hand. And he says, it's too late. And then he stabs him. But, you know, I feel how I feel about Thor and Loki. So. Okay, I'm going to suggest something. Okay. How about we just say our three favourite moments from this? Rather than rather than running down, we yeah. everyone everyone's seen this scene. This this scene is okay. Ingra- like, everyone has seen Avengers. Everyone has seen this one. Let's just do, like, key points. What are three favourite like little bits of it. Oh god. Okay. My first and foremost would have to be as part of that scene where it moves between all six of them. When Iron Man shoots his lasers off Cap's shield and he redirects it, I die. I just die. I, I can't handle it. Anything like that, and they will do it in Age of Ultron as well. Anything where powers are combining in interesting ways like that, I lose my mind at. Okay. I think okay, the the, the obvious favourite moment is Hulk and Loki. <laughs> yes a little rope tied around Tom Hiddleston's foot and they didn't tell him when they were going to pull it and it creates a phenomenal scene in the history yeah, of like cinema it's... with the grand standoff between the strongest hero and the big villain and he just smushes him he just yeah. bangs him on the floor like a toy or something it's just it's such a Joss Whedon take on it like yeah. it's you can see the DNA of like Incredibles in there where it's just like monologuing and just like taking that but it's just like he, he you can tell he's getting ramped up and you can yeah. tell that he's got this great speech like we've <laughs> seen previously in the movie but Hulk just isn't interested yeah. and he just completely <laughs> destroys him yeah. we get the fantastic ad lib line of puny god from Mark Ruffalo yeah. and then it cuts back to, to oh, Tom Hiddleston on the floor and just the sounds he's making <laughs> are... 
<laughs> just so good. Like, that is still, like, if I'm thinking back on this, is just, like, that subversion yeah. of that trope is so masterfully done yeah. and such a good, like, because it comes at a point where, like, everyone else is just, you can tell they're getting tired and stuff like that. But, like, that moment of just levity gives you that hope as you see everyone else becoming more and more war-torn war-torn, <laughs> and you see Hawkeye running out of arrows and, yeah, yeah like, I'm good. glad they abandoned their original plan because Ruffalo early in the film says you can smell crazy on Loki and they were going to have Loki do his trick with the multiple like copies of himself and Hulk would have known which one it was by smelling him. I was like, yeah, that's clever, but this is phenomenal. So, yeah. And I knew you were going to say it, so I got in there with my, uh, my other one. I really like Black Widow vaulting off Cap's shield. I mean, like, she looks so tired and she's just like, yeah, it's going to be fun. <laughs> she steers a hovercraft using knives in the back of the pilot, and I think that's I think that's lovely. <laughs> like, yeah, she, like she's a resourceful lady; she gets shit done. I think I think some of those like hovercraft board scenes are like a little bit ropey in the CGI. Yeah. Like, there's one in particular with Loki where he's zooming towards the camera. I'm just like, oh god, yeah. green screen is not working there. No. But like, yeah, like all the stuff with Black Widow on it and just like her struggles and like it's just going a bit too fast, and you can tell she's not quite comfortable with it. It's just yeah. yeah, like solid, solid stuff. But my second favorite has to be I'm going for another Hulk one. Hulk punching Thor off screen. Hulk punching Thor off screen. Because um, <laughs> it, it, obviously that comes to the climax to the, the the kind of like swooping around the city and seeing what everyone's doing. Yeah. And so you start that off with Hulk ripping off a scale of this giant alien creature, jamming it into the back of it, and then Thor coming down with his hammer full of lightning and just yeah. like smashing into it. Sim- it similar to what I like about the laser bouncing off the shield. Like. Yeah, like <laughs> the, the team up between the two of them. It then crashes into Grand Central Station and you think there's going to be like Thor's going to like thank Hulk and they're going to run off. But no, Hulk's just like, we had a fight earlier. I'm not over it. I'm a yeah. petty motherfucker. I just, just like that they're bros. They're just playing in a way because Thor, like this is every day. He is hundreds, if not thousands of years old. He has seen war. He has seen everything this is just another thing he's doing and hulk is just having fun as well and just to see them just be bros who then also want to fight each other and don't take it seriously is great Uh, again it's like one of those scenes where like because it comes at the end of this like high action high tension scene of them zooming around the city and everyone being a badass and then it just cuts it with that little bit of comedy like it doesn't yeah it doesn't betray character it's not out of place like this makes sense for the characters that we've been shown before but it just underlines that like and you can breathe now and then we're getting back to the action and it's just this whole act is so well paced with highs and lows and it just it doesn't stop but it gives you time to kind of like catch up with where we're at in terms of what's going on yeah uh big pressure on you to get anything else because my final one is so tiny and quick that doesn't even bear talking about when hulk punches you know he says you know i'm always angry he punches the big space whale and it flips over onto them and there's like and and tony shoots it and it blows up and it's raining fire i really love this subtle moment where cap covers black widow with his shield and thor just takes a face full of fire just to show who everyone is in that scene that cap is saving someone black widow as problematic as this is is frail in in the literal sense that she is a human who can't take fire to the face and thor is invincible i just think that's just a nice little character moment that's so quick and subtle yeah so i mean my final one is i'm gonna give props to hawkeye with his best trick arrow which is the one that he fight like he sees loki and he fires his arrow at loki and 
just the way Tom Hiddleston catches it and just the smirk on his face when he's just like, ha, you thought you were going to get me with an arrow. And then the arrow splits into five pieces and just explodes. <laughs> it's cool because it makes both of them look cool. Like, yeah. Hawkeye makes this incredible shot. Loki catches it immediately. It's like, ha And then it blows up and Hawkeye is the clever one after all. Yeah, I, I think all the stuff with Hawkeye's trick arrows is cool. Like, they all work and they're yeah. all fun to watch on screen. But it doesn't come in place of character beats. So it's basically just like, this is a cool thing that's happening. Ignore the rest of it. Yeah. I think it's very interesting that, like, we barely mentioned Cap in that. Well, he's running around being a gymnast. He's saving people. We get this moment with Ellie from The Last of Us. In her, yes. What was going to be her final physical piece of acting ever, and The Last of Us made her an actress again. She is a waitress that is saved by Cap. And there is a deleted scene in this movie where he is drawing, and she gives him coffee or something. They have a little conversation. And by deleting that, you lose all the significance of her scene here because when he is saving her he loses his helmet in the scuffle and then when she's being led out of the building and she sees it's him she's like oh my god it's him and it's like oh if only you'd left that scene in and made this film even longer yeah like it feels like they should have they shouldn't have gone as half-hearted with it as they do like either you cut her out entirely or you leave that scene in the beginning and I get why they leave her in at the end with for the like the the scene where she's being interviewed. Yeah. Uh, Pretty funny saying thanks to the Avengers. Like, yeah, exactly. I get why they do that, but they have the Stanley cameo there. They have other people making commentary on it. Like yeah. you can just and that is have a really that. well done scene. I think just seeing the worldwide impact of the Avengers. Yeah, but it's just like you can just have her reacting. Like you can have like maybe her BA face that you see in the in the in the tunnel, but you don't necessarily like, spend time focusing on that. But because the movie goes back to her like four or five times, <laughs> yeah. like before that before that interview, you just kind of go like, does she mean anything? Like, yeah. Is she mean anything? Like yeah. it's because I mean, like Cap is in theory he's like world famous, but he is also kind of able to blend in on the street before this. You know, and this obviously makes him well famous. So, Selvig gets freed of the mind control. He is able to close the portal, but lingering is this nuclear missile. Tony speeds to it and and guides it up through the portal. He tries to call Pepper on the way up, and and she's busy because she's watching on TV, and it's so sad. So, he gets the missile through the hole. He kind of has accepted he's going to die, but he manages to just tumble through this portal before it closes. The missile kills the mother base and all the Chitari die conveniently and yeah Holt revives Tony uh, by yelling at him in an improvised moment by Mark Ruffalo and you know they've saved the day obviously you and I gush over the PTSD the consequence of this film and we will hear that next episode but it's a great moment it calls back to all of Cap's criticisms of Tony when it comes down to it he does make the sacrifice play and that is character development in a nutshell (laughs) yeah like this movie does more for Tony's character than Iron Man 2 does Mm mhm like, Iron Man 2 is, isn't really a journey. It's basically just, like, how can Tony get better? Like, physically better. Yeah. Whereas this is the one that basically takes him to saying, like, Tony hasn't played with others. How is Tony going to play with others? And will Tony learn from playing with others to, like, be a better person? Like, I think it says a lot that, like, you can see from this that Tony learns a hell of a lesson that he's been edging on learning since the very beginning, which is, like, I need to be saving people. And we'll talk about 
it more in Age of Ultron and Civil War, which maybe Tony gets the wrong lessons from like <laughs> what they should be. But yes. I think that's such a, that's that's such an intensely interesting part of the character is that like even as he's growing, he's still intensely flawed because he thinks he gets an idea and thinks that's the right idea. It's too clever for his own good is what yeah. he is. He says, "Let's all go get some shawarma." Then we will talk about that. I love how this is treated as a big deal. Like I said, that that worldwide. Uh, the clips of people all around the world reacting to it it makes it feel real and not localized like a lot of action movies do like this is a thing that happened and would be on the news forever and you'll see it in the extended universes and in the netflix universe in the tv where they'll talk about the incident and the battle of new york and people are selling bootleg blu-rays of like handy cam footage of it and stuff yeah and it doesn't go away in the other movies i think the only movies after this that don't really touch on it are the thor movies and strange yeah strange and ant-man like they kind of don't really have time because they're introducing stuff to like not really touching it but like those are also the ones where they are a little bit vague about when they're taking place as well (laughs) yeah but like but like this is an incredibly important part of spider-man it's an incredibly important part of the next two captain america movies like it's an incredibly important part of iron man 3 this is it's a huge part of age of ultron in terms of like what they're trying to do this has this event has repercussions and it has ripples and you don't need to know what it is you just need to know that something terrible happened and it's one of those things that you just have to respect marvel for in that when you see dc try and replicate this same event in man (laughs) of steel into into batman v superman like they feel the urge to recreate the end of the movie kind of like climax but like instead this is a thing of legend like this is an incredibly important thing like marvel have marvel have yet to reshoot this from a different angle as far as we're aware they didn't try and shove michael keaton into it in spider-man homecoming they just kind of (laughs) said like they go to grand central station and like show the alien corpse in there but like at no point is it him cowering somewhere like yeah. watching his the city he loves get destroyed yeah. and I mean, you know what happened everyone saw the avengers yeah, as exactly. evidenced by it being the fifth highest grossing movie of all time so we close on a shot of just the a and stark tower being there it's very cute robert downey jr wanted to take the a away with him they said no a year later he got it as a birthday present that's oh, adorable wow. so as the film is ending in the mid-credits, we get uh, the reveal that Loki's master in this endeavour, as anyone who read comics could have guessed, but if you didn't, then who the fuck is this big purple dude? It's Thanos, who smiles when he is warned that to challenge them is to court death. And then they eat some shawarma. Yeah. <laughs> A scene that they filmed between it coming out in the UK, or internationally, and it coming out in the US, because I watched this movie, and this scene didn't exist, and they yep. filmed it hastily. They had to have Chris Evans in a prosthetic jaw to cover his big old beard, and how fun is this? That Marvel are like, oh yeah, let's just get everyone together and shoot this scene. I can't, I can't remember where it was. There was like it was like a press conference or something, and they were just like, oh, we've got to go shoot another scene now. And basically, they finished the press conference, or the, the it might have been even like the premiere of the movie or something like that, and they ran away to a set and just kind of like shot it in an afternoon yeah. and got it ready for the, the distribution of the movie. So, you watched this when it came out. The movie, yeah, yeah. Yeah, did you know who Thanos was? Uh, vaguely. Vaguely. Like, when I looked, I wasn't like, oh, it's Thanos. But then when I like Googled it, I was like, oh, yeah, I know who Thanos is, yeah. But yeah. Just, it just looked a bit odd to me but. yeah it's odd and also like i going with people whose only frame of reference is 
the movies like without comic reference like i know people who watch it as comic fans but like watching with people who don't know it like it's interesting to watch them kind of like they now know who thanos is despite yeah. him only being in two more movies beyond exactly. this. Yeah, yeah they've they've done a pretty good job of building this dude up they have a big task on their hands like cards on the table i i was a kid who grew up on the cartoons i didn't read a single issue of a comic book until i think the first thing i read was civil war and then i just got big trades so I can't sit here and claim I was reading Avengers comics for years and then I saw this movie. That's not me. I have since like given myself an enormous crash course in comic book history and now I appreciate some of these things. But yeah, as, as someone who wouldn't have just immediately gone, oh my god, it's Thanos. Uh, it was slightly like, uh, but they have built him up. So they didn't just leave that one there. But they did for a little while. <laughs> yeah, like, like it's such a random scene where like he doesn't speak, he doesn't do anything. And it's good that he gets as much to do as he does in Guns of the Galaxy because based it's kind on of this, weird how much he gets to do in Guns of the Galaxy. Yeah, it is, it is. But like, it's definitely like the most important building block because then when he shows up again at Age, in Age of Ultron, it's not weird. Yeah. Like, it's not like this has been three. Who years is this monster who just shows up at the end of these movies? Yeah, God, I love this movie. Yeah. So just some very minor little extra things, and then we'll get out of here. But so cameos, we got Paul Bettany back as Jarvis good work here as Jarvis I think you know you you never really talk about it much other than the debut but yeah good stuff here good back and forth with Tony Maximiliano Hernandez is back as Jasper Sitwell I know all the fans are, were screaming for him and he's back Powers Booth and Jenny Agata are members of the World Security Council Jenny Agata being on the World Security Council is going to be incredibly important uh, in a few episodes time because I lost my fucking mind Dan Lee gets his cute little scene on the news uh, as I said Ellie from The Last of Us Ashley Johnson that's her name she has a name she's not a character she's a person she's in it at the end Damien Poitier is playing Thanos for now Natalie Portman appears as a picture on a screen she was going to be in it but she was pregnant so she couldn't yeah so just we, we talked about it at the beginning but like the, the big takeaway for me on this is that Joss wrote the fuck out of this it's <laughs> so tight every line almost is important he balances between all these characters. He elevates these characters that Thor, Loki, Coulson, Fury. To an extent, he does new things with Tony. I think he does good work with Cap. But as you said, he didn't get time, and you just you just know he understands these characters. Like he he is a legitimate fan who grew up and was like, well, obviously you do this, obviously you do that, and. You know, you say how he'd only directed one film before this, and he, you know, he'd obviously written a ton of scripts over the over the years. But you get it why they did this, because you could say how this could be like a risky casting for them. Like this is all leading to this huge movie. What director have we got? Oh, Joss Whedon, the and guy he, from Buffy. Exactly, and but it's just these characters live in him. He knows them so well, and it's so sad that he completely burns out, serving as Marvel's like arbiter of like where it all goes because. In a bubble, this film is phenomenal. Yeah, it's, it's kind of sad, because obviously, like, immediately after doing this, he went off and did... Much Ado About Nothing is what he did immediately after this. And, he, like, he said it was, like, a kind of, like, a, a cool cleanse down, that he had yeah. to do. Yeah, and, like, you can see why. It's basically him hanging out in his house with a bunch of friends. And then he goes into multiple years on Age of Ultron and just Gets burns himself out because... <laughs> The, set, the, the follow-up was never going to be the, the home run that... Uh, uh, the, that the lever of cultural importance of Avengers, it was an event. Like, so few films... So many films talk about being event movies, but this was an event. Everyone was yeah. talking about the Avengers. A basketball is, player that I, I like a lot, he tweeted something like, does anyone else just, like, watch the Avengers every day? And I was like, yes! Yes, I do! 
Yeah, and like yeah. it sets them up to be Marvel ass Marvel. Like these early films, we've talked about some of the shaky aspects to them, and I'm trying to establish stuff. Once Avengers hits, they basically have license to print money from then on, and people care, and they line up to see every one of these. Yeah, like this is this is probably the defining blockbuster of this decade. Yeah, like I I. I mean, maybe you can argue that Force Awakens like has kind of taken some of its thunder, yeah. but I think that's a cultural that's, that's a cultural thing for a different reason. <laughs> yeah. This is from the ground up the the franchise of the twenty first century. I do like that. I do not think there is anything more important. Like maybe Fast and Furious is the only other thing you could kind of level <laughs> against it as something that's like so very emblematic of the decade that it was or the the century it was made. But I like guess. this as culmination and this as and this is actually good. So yeah, <laughs> but the, like the Avengers is a staggering achievement. Yeah. I, I keep saying that whenever I talk about Avengers. It's like, do you know how hard this must have been to do? And like, well, we you can tell how hard it this. is to do because Age of Ultron is, is good. Spoilers. Like, but I, uh, I don't think. I, but again, I've said this is the best movie that Marvel have done, and I stand by that. I do not. No. I think there are shaky aspects, but I think they're all taken away by just the sheer joy and love and whatnot that I get from it. And every fault that you have against Marvel movies, like yeah. the music isn't that good, isn't so in this movie. The third act is bad, isn't so in this movie. The, the villain is bad, bad, is not good true in this movie. <laughs> it gets everything right. Yeah. And is that one thing that you can say, like even the movies that are held up as being great, like your Winter Soldiers, your Guardians of the Galaxy, when you think about them, they don't actually always like stack up to one of those like three criticisms against them for me there are only two films marvel mate that come close to contending with this and we will yeah. talk about that as we go do you want to i'm going to spit off a quick ranking of mc phase one you can agree or disagree i would say at the top avengers followed by captain america first avenger followed by iron man one followed by thor followed by iron man 2 followed by the incredible hulk i think that's pretty much spot on i'm loading up my google sheets which has got my ranking on it because don't yes, reveal I've... your rankings beyond this but just for phase one i mean i think yeah, we can yeah. agree incredible hulk at the bottom iron man 2 above that and then i thor as much as i like as much as i said i would rather rewatch thor these days than i'd rather rewatch iron man 1 you can't take away from what Robert Downey Jr. did there. You can't take away from it starting all of this. So Iron Man 1 above Thor. Over, yeah, one, once upon a time, I probably would have liked Iron Man more than Captain America 1. But just with what they do with Cap over time, it, it gained all that just magic. And, you know, we talked about it. But yeah, this is yeah, undoubtedly it's, it's, number one. It's Avengers, Cap, Iron Man, Thor, Iron Man 2, Hulk. Yes. Like, I, I, exactly the same as you. Like, yeah. it is... Okay. I think there are people that like would disagree with that. Yeah, I think there are. Pe- I think we are in the minority of people who put Captain America above above Iron Man. Yeah, people just fucking have such a hard on for Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> no one, it's insane. Like they're just blind to the. You heard the episode. So we got a final <laughs> bit of business to deal with before we get out of here. There's no need to do good third act, bad third act. There's no real need to do villain watch. This is obviously the best villain Marvel have done so far. Yeah, like uh, it's 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 the first it's the first and really only time that they actually get a villain that gets to develop over the course of multiple movies. Yeah. And at this point, Loki is as ingrained a character as like any of the big guns. And giving him more to do was never going to be a mistake. It, it like he is he is a character even more so than a villain. Like I can't believe that Marvel still go through the rigmarole of like killing off a lot of their villains at the end of movies yeah. so that they don't get this kind of development. Like there's a villain coming up later in an origin movie, which I'm interested to see how they develop because I think <laughs> it's, the, it's the first time that Marvel haven't ended the movie with the villain being dead at the end of it. 
in a while. And I, Ooh. yeah, like, there, in fact, there are two of those coming up in Origin yeah. movies that, like, I think <laughs> have a lot of work, a lot of leeway to do great things in second movies. But, mm-hmm. like, for now, Loki is that the only villain that has come back and I want to see come back more because he's yeah. part of the DNA of the MCU at this point. Like, he's in as many movies as Hawkeye. He's in more movies than Hawkeye is. <laughs> True. So. When we talk of Loki, we have a difficult task here because it's time for the all Marvel, uh, the, the all Marvel performances here. So far, we've given it to Robert Downey Jr. from Iron Man One, nobody from Incredible Hulk, Sam Rockwell from Iron Man Two. I argued it into Tom Hiddleston for Thor, and then we agreed on Haley Atwell for Captain America. For me, there are three clear-cut nominees for this film: it's Tom Hiddleston, Scarlett Johansson, and Mark Ruffalo. I don't know if there's anyone that you would try and get in there as well. I think. I'd potentially throw in Downey Jr., but not wholeheartedly. Like, I agree those are the top three, but I think Downey Jr. does really good work in this movie, and you can tell why he's paid as much as he is and why he's the face of this franchise. But he's... He, he was better in Iron Man 1 and he does better work in the next movie we're going to discuss so yeah. I'm happy to leave him off Indeed. now we have our one free slot from Incredible Hulk we have one for this the, my <laughs> inkling here would be to strip Tom Hiddleston of his ranking from Thor 1 we can give the NA to one of Ruffalo or Johansson yes and we can one leave of them. Tom Hiddleston with Thor 1 and just say, look, he's still really good here. He's better here, but we've got to get he him is. in somewhere. And I yeah. personally think Johansson and Ruffalo are doing such good work here that he can't be ignored. I was I was originally hoping this would turn into like a battle of like we get to argue between Hiddleston, or not Hiddleston, between Johansson and Ruffalo, because this, like, yes, Johansson's appeared before, but my god like yeah. the char- this character is magnitude better i mean she's she's an actress that's been around for a, a lot longer than i think a lot of people realize like making a lot of movies from a young age and you know she's obviously incredibly attractive but i feel something happened here where she became a fucking megastar and now she can carry movies and i think it's from this personally and i think it's a fucking abomination that marvel have not that, given her her movie yet that had better be coming in these 20 unannounced movies like they've they've said that they've hired a screenwriter now which is more than they've done before and i mean i've i've had my theory that like there's a reason why that like they haven't done it but that all depends on how infinity war part two plays out like she she's so good and the fact that they haven't given her this role yet is or given her this the chance to be in a solo movie yet is bonkers especially considering how good she is here yeah. and yes she gets an awful lot to do in both winter soldier and civil war and she gets a hell of a lot to do in age of ultron as well but she's but, still playing second yeah. fiddle and this is so meaty and she's she's keeping up with the heavy hitters she's getting almost equal screen screen time and she's very important and she kicks ass like she I, she kicks as much ass in that final fight as anyone else yeah, it, it's interesting to say she's almost like the audience surrogate at this point. And I think yeah. Coulson also fills that role. But I think the yeah. two of them together are very much that kind of like eyes on the ground, your quote unquote normal people. Obviously, she's heightened, but she's still like yeah. compared to these gods and super soldiers and robot yeah. men, yeah, yeah, yeah. like she is having to having to deal with not being as powerful as them and having to put on this yeah. strong face and like you talk um, i talked about like how hawkeye's at his best when he revels and how useless he is black widow 
denies how useless she is. She rises above and she does everything she can with what she has, and it's it's so well done. No, she's she's fantastic. And yeah. Ruffalo again. What, a, what the- a weird move because like this dude had come off the kids are all right, and like he's a character actor and, and like an actor's actor and all this, and you you were like, Mark Ruffalo, like he's not a name, and then he's like, nope, he's fucking Hulk forever now. So yeah, like he's got the hardest role probably in this movie because not only is he replacing someone who's very high profile incredible um, <laughs> one of the best actors of all time then he's also coming into this piece where he's having to like figure out what he wants to do with this role whilst also having to play with other people like he he doesn't get he didn't get a dry run everyone else got a dry one at some point yeah he doesn't he's thrown headfirst into having to have chemistry with all these people and i'm sure they didn't screen test everyone with everyone when they got cast but i'm sure they definitely probably put Chris Hemsworth and Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Evans in a room before they got cast just to make sure that like yeah. if we ever do this this is going to work whereas Mark Ruffalo like, the speed that this would have had to happen is yeah. insane and, and he's got he's... such good chemistry with everyone like he, he doesn't really have a scene with Hawkeye but I'm sure he would have good chemistry with Hawkeye <laughs> he is outstanding and it's a shame that like the rights issue with Universal means he hasn't had a chance to do a proper solo movie yet yeah. but I and, like know. you know uh, shout out to his physical portrayal of Hulk. Like, he's doing all that mocap. He's doing improv. Like, he's yelling at Tony. He's saying puny God. Like, he is playing the Hulk. It's not, he shows up for half a film and then the computers do the rest. He's playing Hulk. Yeah. Tom Hiddleston is better here than he is in Thor, but I can't not give these two props, so I'm sorry, but Tom Hiddleston, you're getting your shout-out for Thor 1, even <laughs> though, asterisk, you're better here, and in a world where we have three nominees to give, it's these three, but I would go Johansson and Ruffalo. No, I'm completely the same. Like, this movie's full of really good performances, and but these two leave an indelible impression, and... Indeed. Good use of indelible. Now let's leave an indelible impression with the closing of this podcast. Uh, go to entertherealworld.com. That's two E's in real for like a film reel. Go to Mike and Matt on SoundCloud. We've got so many podcasts out. The Blade series of podcasts will have been over by the time you hear this, but that exists. Maybe me and Mike have started True Detective by now. Maybe the other super secret project. Uh, from Broadcast Depth is out there covering Lost. That's Kevin Ford and Ben Lundy. That is a good deal of fun because they have been friends for a long time and you can tell just by listening to them uh, i enjoyed it and i'm the world's biggest lost yeah fan. ben is conflicted about listening to that because he adores lost on such a it's so part of your core but it's fine i've got a plan to get a leftovers podcast going so i can discuss okay. the other david in love show but yeah, well maybe we'll bring it to into the real world who knows but you should tune in and next time we will be talking about iron man 3 this is one to listen to definitely i mean i want you to listen to all of them but Ben and I are going to have some opinions that are going to differ very wildly with the public opinion. So I think not from each other. Not from each other. No, no, not at all. We're in total agreement on it. So listen to that next time. I'm excited for how we've structured it because you've (laughs) you've given me the pitch and it's different again to the last two episodes. Yeah, I I think I think I've quietly nailed the prep for this one. Thank you for coming on this marvelous journey with us. Come back next time for Iron Man Three.